We're Ladd and Laurie Lumpkin. We came to Northeast Presbyterian in 2007. We lived in Forest Acres and were at a church downtown, and we moved to the Northeast, and I was invited to TNT Bible study. And so that was the first study that we did at Northeast, or I did, and then the next year I did Focus. And so we were kind of becoming more and more ingrained in the church. Our downtown church had some much looser theology than the PCA has, and so we were drawn here by the theology of the church. We had a lot of friends here. I've got family here. I've visited this church through my whole growing up years. It was a natural fit for us. So when we joined the church, our daughter Caroline was in first grade and our son Reese was in the fours in preschool. So they have completely grown up in the church. Um, and it has been super special to watch them grow from imitating what we did to owning their faith. I can remember Reese, like in kindergarten, being so excited when he learned the books of the Bible and he got a prize from Marsha Bradbury, but to watching them join the church here, to me having to tell Jason when Caroline moved into middle school ministry, don't call on Caroline to come on stage because she will totally freak out. She can't do it. And now she is on staff here and is the student ministries person right now and owns that. She owns what it means to lead other people, to have other people watching her faith and mentoring them. And that has been incredible. Having the church family uh, through time has certainly been beneficial to us. Uh, just recently, and, and I can't remember exactly why we had this conversation, but we were talking about people leaving one city, moving to another, or moving in, and how you connect. And, and of course that, for us, the first thing that we think about has been church and most of our connections, a lot of our connections are through the church. Laurie's father passed away in January of 2020. In the car the other day, she said she's got a, a bag upstairs of all of the cards that she received for her for support during that time, and that 80% of those, 90% of those are our church family, that, that the church family is who has supported us primarily or incredibly well. Um, in what was easily the hardest time that we've had in a long time. And that, that was has been such a blessing to us. I think having a multi-generational church uh, allows us to have mentors, to have role models uh, that are further along than we are uh, in our life, in our spiritual journey. Just a great encouragement for us as we look forward and hopefully that's the same with couples or children that are behind us as well. I think that church community and being with other believers is invaluable. I think whether it is whether it is on Sunday morning and the action of praise, being with people, 
is simply a better environment than doing it on my couch, whether it is on Sunday night with a small group of having that interaction. You can, you can learn so much from reading, but you can learn so much more from other people's stories, from other people's struggles, from other people's successes, um, and the ability at our church to, to be a part of people older, younger, that have been in your position, for you to speak to people who are going through things that you have gone through, you can only do that in person. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I've kind of equated it to when Lad was a competitive cyclist, he would say it helped you to ride with people who were weaker than you, to pull them along because that strengthened you, but it also helped to ride with people who were stronger than you because it challenged you. And that's what I think multi-generation brings to you. Praise God for another wonderful NEPC Stories video. Can we thank Lad and Lori for that? What powerful words, and I don't know if you're loving these videos as much as I am, but they are just powerful. They speak to my heart. You can find them all, all the NEP story, NEPC Stories videos. They're all on our website. They're on all of our socials. We are coming to the end of a sermon series on Hebrews chapter 10 called Draw Near. I would invite you to turn there again, chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, verses 19 to 25. And as you're turning there, I'll ask you this. When you look out on your city, on your state, on your nation, what discourages you? What do you see that gets to you, that makes you feel bad, that frustrates you, that annoys you, that causes you to want to be negative or cynical? And then what do we do with that discouragement? Let's listen to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words these divinely inspired words which you have given to your church that we are called to be an encouraging people. We are called to be encouragers. No matter how negative the culture around us can seem, how cynical the rhetoric may get, 
because of the hope that we have in Christ, we are always abounding. Our joy cannot be stolen from us because we have Christ and therefore we have all. We pray that our hearts would be built up and encouraged this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Two brief points this morning. What is encouragement and how can we encourage others and also receive encouragement ourselves? First of all, what is encouragement? And then how can we encourage others but also receive encouragement ourselves? The etymology of the word encouragement is actually quite fascinating. And for, of course, you start with the word courage. The word courage, it's derived from uh, the Latin core, C-O-R, means heart. It means heart in Latin. And the word, uh, so the word courage derives from the word heart. And now that's interesting. You say, why, what's the connection between having courage in a situation and your heart? But if you think about it, what does it take to act with courage? It's not about what you know. It's about doing something that's hard. It's about facing your fears, acting with bravery. So it actually makes sense that this word courage flows out of a word that means our heart. In, to put in. Here's what the word encourage literally means. It means to put courage into someone. Encourage. To put courage into someone. Courage is not recklessness. It is rather when you face your fears and you do something that you know is difficult. And the reason you do it is because you're able to draw on an inner strength. And we'll talk about where that strength comes from. To put courage into one another. That is our calling. The Greek word that's used here, it's parakaleo. And if you've heard a few Greek words, you may have heard of the word paraclete. And you think parakaleo, paraclete, that sounds familiar. Same family of words. Who's the paraclete? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the encourager sent from God to comfort our hearts and to build us up. Now, there are really two sides of encouragement. Two sides of encouragement. We don't always think about encouragement this way, but we need to. There are two sides of encouragement. You'll see this on the screen. We encourage others when we affirm what is already true of them. When we say to someone, you're doing great. You're a blessing to many. I admire this thing about you. I see the fruit of the Spirit in this way. I love your self-control. I love your gentleness. I love your patience. We are encouraging one another. The Bible tells us to do that. Encourage one another. This is the normal way that we use the word encouragement. This means to build up. But there's another side to the word encouragement. And this is why a few Bible translations will translate this verse in Hebrews, instead of saying encourage one another, it says exhort one another. Because there's another side to encouragement. And that is when we encourage others, when we affirm what, by God's grace, they are capable of. Hear that? 
when we affirm what by, by God's grace we are capable of. Saying to someone, I love what I see in you. I love how you are growing. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't quit. The two sides of encouragement, I was thinking about this. And I can illustrate this with what happens when I go to a wrestling match. You know that we're a wrestling family. Um, not the kind where people wear costumes and face masks and all that. But the, the other kind of wrestling, you know, the high school kind where there's points and everything. And I remember the first few times I went, I had no clue what was going on. But now I love it. Now I think a wrestling match is one of the most exciting things you can go to. But there's a kind of encouragement that you give during the match. And then there's a different kind of encouragement that you give before and after the match. The kind of encouragement you give after the match is, I'm proud of you. You've worked really hard. You're doing great. But that's not the kind of encouragement that you give during the match, okay? My sons would not be happy if in the middle of the contest when they're sweating and they're fighting, I said, I'm proud of you. I love you. You're awesome. They wouldn't love that. They'd say, Dad, you're not coming back. You know what they want to hear me say? You know what they want to hear from their coaches and from their teammates? You've got this. Don't quit. You're stronger than you think you are. Don't fight. You've got it. Don't quit. You see, that's the exhorting. That's the other side of encouragement. That's the side that says, keep going. Both are encouragement. Both are needed. There's the encouragement that is the building up, and there, there is the encouragement that is the spurring on, stirring up. Both are needed. Church, we need to be encouragers. We need to be both those people who say to one another, I value you. I appreciate you. You are a dear member of this church family. And we also need to be the kind of people that say, don't quit. Christian, keep running. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep going deeper with God. And I want to say to Northeast Presbyterian, I want to say thank you, because over the last two and a half years, there has been a lot of change at this church. We've been through a lot. Like the rest of the world, we dealt with a global pandemic, and yet so many of you have done this text to me and to my family. You have encouraged me. You have built me up. You have said, Josh, keep going. Keep preaching the word. Keep walking with Christ. We are with you we are with this church. We are called family to encourage one another, to build up and to stir up. Think about what happens. Sometimes we need to get down to the granular level of these words. When you stir something in a pot, what do you do? You're moving the ingredients around because the ingredients have become stationary. They've become stuck at the bottom, but it's better when they're stirred up. So we are called to stir one another up, encourage the body of Christ so that we can be the people in the church that God wants us to be. In 2021, there was an article that ran in Christianity Today. It immediately caught my eye. It caught the eye of many people. We'll put the uh, cover of the, this was actually the cover of the magazine for one of the months. Uh, but... If you can see the headline, you may not be able to see it, 
It says empty pews are a public health crisis. Empty pews are a public health crisis. It was written by, not by pastors, not by people who work in the church, but two people who work for Harvard. One's an epidemiologist, the other's a researcher. So these are scientists who work for Harvard, and they were researching the value of being in a religious community. So for example, uh, Barna, the Barna group found that in 2011, 43% of Americans said they went to church every week. By February of 2020, that was down to 29% every week, and I'm sure it's lower now. But what's interesting about their study is they found a direct correlation to religious involvement and people's own personal health. So for example, there was a study of 70,000 nurses and they found that medical workers who said they attended religious services frequently were 29% less likely to become depressed, 50% less likely to divorce, and five times less likely to commit suicide than those who never attended church. And in perhaps the most striking finding of all healthcare professionals who attended services were nearly 33% less likely to die during a 16-year follow-up period than people who never attended. Church, our need to be together, to love each other, to embrace one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't have to do a holy kiss. That might be a bit much. It literally gets down to the cellular level. It literally impacts people's health. Perhaps you have heard this term, deaths of despair, which is sweeping through our country. So many different people are feeling hopeless. The research tells us that we need to encourage one another not just because the Bible tells us to. Not just because it builds us up in Christ, but literally because it is what is best for our health and for the health of those around us. The author of Hebrews says, encourage one another. Why do we need encouragement? That This should be the most obvious question of all. We need encouragement, friends, because we are in a battle we're in the middle of a race. We're in the middle of a contest. Pick your favorite metaphor. But we are in the middle of a fight right now, and we need brothers and sisters around us who will say, keep fighting. Don't give up. Keep running. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. Martin Luther probably was living through a time that he could have said is the most discouraging time ever. I mean, he's on the run. He's trying to reform the church that had largely forgotten the gospel. And he wrote these words in a mighty fortress. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. This world will threaten to undo us. And that's why, church, we have to stay so close together. We have to be like those British royal sailors, the sailors from the British Royal Navy. Did you see the funeral for the queen? Where they put the queen's casket on the gun carriage 
and 142 members of the British Royal Navy in their uniforms, arms locked together, holding, harnessed up, pulling the carriage. There were no horses because they were carrying the queen's body to Westminster Abbey. I thought, what a picture of the church, of what God wants for us, united, walking together. How can we encourage others very quickly? We encourage others when we share life together, when we spend time together. If I am going to put courage in you, if you are going to put courage in me, if we are going to build one another, one another up, then we have to be together. And this is one of the beauties of a multi-generational church. Did you hear what Lad and Lori said in that video? That beautiful image of cycling, some cyclists who are stronger, some who are weaker, so that we have other Christians who, who are not as far along in their walk, and then we have other believers who are further along in our walk, and we surround ourselves with both as we encourage others and as others encourage us. Make this your prayer. Every time you go to church, say, Lord, help me to encourage someone today. Lord, help me to encourage as many people as I can today. As I step foot into my church family, as I go to a Bible study, help me to encourage others. And a great prayer to pray every day of your life is, Lord, help me to be an encouragement to someone. Because you can look around and see just how much negativity, division, Bitterness and cynicism is sweeping across this land and the easy thing to do is to join in and to participate. But we are those who have a joy that can't be taken from us. We are the ones filled with hope. We are called to be the encouragers, both within this family and outside of the walls of this church. How can we encourage each other? We got to be together. How can we ourselves be encouraged? The single biggest way that anybody here, anybody on the live stream, can ever be encouraged is to believe the gospel. That's the single biggest way. There is no source of hope, no source of joy, no source of encouragement like knowing the God who made you and who loved you and who sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to pay for your life with his very blood. Are you feeling discouraged today? Are you feeling hopeless today? Dear saint, the Lord would say to you, look up, lift your eyes, look to the heavens, look to the one where your hope comes from. You know what's beautiful? The Bible says that God is an encourager. Did you know that? In Romans 15.5, we read, Now the God of patience and of encouragement grants you to be of the same mind one another with one another according to Christ Jesus. God is an encourager. God is patient with us. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. And so the biggest single place that we go to for our encouragement is to him. We don't let the world take it. I wonder how many of us 
really appreciate the words of Psalm 4-7. In Psalm 4-7, the, the psalmist says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. And the psalmist is saying, Lord, I can look at other people who've got all the money, all the fame, all the popularity, everything going on with them, and I have more joy in my heart because I know you. Friends, we are coming now to the table. This table is for those who have met the great encourager, those who have bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus, those who know, as Hebrews 7.25 says, God is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Draw near. Draw near to this table. Draw near. Be encouraged. Take your eyes off of all of the things that you see around you in your life that you say, all of these things weigh me down. Instead, come to the table. Come and be fed by the king of the universe. Come and be nourished. This table is for those who know the Lord. This table is for those who have said to God, God, I receive you, I receive your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I give it all to you. This table is for those who know the Lord Jesus. If you have not yet surrendered your life to Christ, then let today be the day that discouragement ends. Let today be the day that you look upward and you find the one who loves you and made you and desires you and give your life to him. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do live in discouraging times. It can be easy for us to get caught up in the things of this world. But we pray now, O oh Lord, that as we come in faith, you would build us up. You would put courage, put hope, put joy in our hearts. That we could be those who give that same encouragement out to others. In Christ's name, amen. In a few moments, the children are going to be coming back into the sanctuary. And uh, they're going to join you, mom and dad. And our hope for our covenant kids is that as they would see this, as they would see this element, that they would long in their own hearts to experience this. They would long to walk with Jesus by faith. So let us now take a few moments to prepare our hearts as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper.